So if you haven't got uh, the reading, you haven't got it open on, on an app perhaps on your phone uh, or an iPad, you might want to just open up a, a physical Bible to, uh, to Exodus. We've been working our way through the book of, of Exodus uh, at the start of this year. We're up to, uh, to Exodus chapter, chapter 17. We've been, we've been following uh, the Israelite people. We've been following the Hebrew people. They've come out of slavery. They've been liberated from captivity and, and, and they are now... They are now out in the wilderness. So yes, they've been, they've been set free, but their challenges haven't ended. You see, every single week they've been facing a new challenge. There's a new lesson to be learned at every step of the journey. And, and each time God has, has cried out to them, trust me, trust me. There's been a difficult challenge, a difficult time. I mean, serious stuff, I mean, hard stuff, no water to drink, no, no food to eat. And God has said, just trust me and, and I will provide. He has miraculously saved them from slavery. He's miraculously brought them through the waters of the Red Sea on foot. He's miraculously led and fed them out in the wilderness on their way eventually into the promised land. And so uh, last week we heard how they came to a place called Rephidim. And the problem there was that there was no water to drink. They started to mumble and grumble and point fingers and accuse and lay charges against Moses. But, but Moses, with his, his trusty staff, has, has struck the rock and water came forth from the rock. Again, God comes through saying, just trust me. I, I know what you need. Uh, you don't really uh, need the things of this world as much as you actually need me. Today... They're still at Rephidim. So this is in the back half of chapter 17. They're still there. And, and the challenges uh, this week is, a, is of, a, is of a, a different variety. This, for the first time, is, is a challenge coming from, from without rather than, than from within. I think there's three key takeaways to be looking out for today. I'm going to give you three little, little lessons, three little uh, key learning points, three takeaways. That is one, firstly, sometimes we're going to have to fight. You're going to be attacked by the Amalekites. Sometimes we're going to have to fight. Sometimes our faith will be a battle. It's just the reality. Secondly, we need God if we're going to prevail in that fight. And thirdly, we need each other to, to hold each other up. So there are our three takeaways this morning. Uh, it's going to sometimes be a battle. Our faith is going to be a fight. We're going to need God to prevail in that fight. And we're going to need each other to overcome uh, in this fight as well. So let's have a look at this passage together. It's, it's Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through to the end of the chapter. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on either side, one on one, on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted high, lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Church, let's pray. God of grace, we pray that you might reveal yourself to us this morning through the pages of Scripture. Father, we pray that we might see this story afresh, see something anew. We pray that it might be a source of great encouragement for us. This week, as we face the battles of our own, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said... Amen. So for the first time since crossing the Red Sea, for the first time coming out of Egypt, these are God's people, the Hebrews or or the Israelites, sort of use this term interchangeably, the Hebrew people. Uh, They're now starting to be called the the Israelite people, uh, are facing opposition from the world rather than from within their their own camp. Before they get into a fight with the world, they had to have dealt with the stuff from from within. As we heard last week, there was mumbling and grumbling and and, and accusations. Uh, And I think that's the first little sort of takeaway for us here this morning. Uh, I think as a church, certainly here in the West more and more, we're starting to sense there is opposition coming from without. Um, Of course, let's be honest, generations of believers in Jesus Christ have been dealing with this from the time of Christ. We here in the West have grown perhaps a little bit complacent and perhaps a little bit entitled at times. We haven't faced a lot of opposition like many other cultures, many other followers of Jesus in other cultures have have known. But it's been a reality for for many followers of Jesus from around the world, right from the the time of, of, of Christ. But before we worry about outside forces that are standing in, in opposition to us, that are wanting to, to cancel us or, or silence us. We need to deal with, with the internal stuff. Quite often, before we can deal with the outside stuff, you know, the church just shoots itself in the foot. We have stuff internally uh, that needs to, to, to be dealt with. Uh, you know, these very public scandals uh, damage the church and they're their own goals, so to speak. So I think that, that's the first little bit of context that I want you to be aware of. Yes, today is a turning point because for the first time, God's people are attacked from the outside. But up until now, the conflicts have been internal. It's been an internal struggle to deal with their own faithlessness, their own flakiness. That's the first little takeaway. Make sure you get your own house in order. And let's, as a church, make sure we have our house in order before we we sort of step out and, and, and start pointing the finger at at, at, at anybody else. We need to make sure we have our own house in order if we are indeed going to deal with the assaults that, that will indeed come our way uh, from time to time. If you want to know more about those internal dramas, you can go back and watch our services online over the past few weeks. But today it's a turning point because really for the first time in Scripture, God's people are being assaulted. They're being attacked um, by, a, by a, 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 another tribe. And this is really our first takeaway, our first Acknowledgement that yes, we sometimes will need to fight. There sometimes will be a, a battle to be fought. Sometimes we are going to have to take a, a stand for our faith. Uh, while Jesus is, of course, the, the prince of, 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 of peace, and whilst we, we look forward to the time when, as Isaiah wonderfully points out, wonderfully points to, prophesies about a time when 
when we will beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, when nation no longer takes up sword against nation and we no longer learn the art of war, won't that be a great day? Won't that be a wonderful time? But until that time, we are living in a fallen world, a flawed world where where conflict is inevitable, conflict is a part of life, and we're going to have to to learn how how to deal with it. And indeed, the New Testament is is clear. The Old Testament is full of these conflicts and struggles. God's people are constantly at at war and and, and having to defend themselves against uh, marauding uh, enemies. In fact, really, conflict is kind of the default position for for Israel throughout most of the Old Testament. And even in the the New Testament, um, we we, we are told to, to fight the good fight. We're told to endure suffering like good soldiers of, of, of Christ. And, uh, and, and Ephesians 6, uh, talks, Paul talks about the need uh, to, uh, to put on the, the, the full armour of God. But he does also point, and I want, want you to see this follower of Jesus today, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. He's very clear, that Paul, that the battle these days is not so much in the physical but in the spiritual. Amen. We know that he says in Ephesians 6, our fight is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. It is against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And, of course, Jesus himself, despite arming his disciples at one point with swords when he sent them out, he nevertheless, at his arrest, tells Peter to put away his sword. Remember that incident at his arrest? Uh, Peter uh, draws his sword and lops off a guard's ear. But Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. This is not the right thing. This is not the right course of action. And he heals uh, the man's ear. Church, we will indeed have to fight some battles, but the weapons of war are not swords and guns and tanks. We we fight these battles on our knees. Amen? We fight our, our battles in the spiritual realm. We We seek to win hearts and and, and minds rather than to gain territory or riches or or worldly esteem for for ourselves. So the Amalekites at this point in the the context here are are attacking the Hebrews. We we know a little bit about them. They're descendants of Amalek who was Esau's grandson. So they're actually distant relatives of the Israelites. Uh, Judges 3 describes them as a people who who do not have the fear of God before their eyes. Isn't that a, isn't that a telling thing, a telling description? They do not have the fear of God before their eyes. And, and elsewhere in the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, we sometimes hear them referred to as the Book of Moses, there's different accounts of the same events. Uh, Deuteronomy 25 also talks about this event. It actually gives us a little bit more detail. It says that they attacked, they cut off the tail of the Hebrew camp. They cut off the tail. And again, I think that might be a little bit of a takeaway for us there as as well. Those that were lagging behind, those that weren't in the heart of the Hebrew camp were most at risk. They were the one most at risk of being cut off, at being snatched away uh, by the enemy. So again, a little, perhaps a little mini takeaway. Make sure you're in the heart of the camp of, of God's people. Don't, don't think to yourself, well, I don't really need the church. I hear all the time, oh, Pete, I, I believe in God, but you don't, have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And whilst that's technically correct, practically speaking, it's not really true. I mean, time and time again, we show that we need our brothers and sisters of Christ around us to encourage us. Uh, don't, don't fall behind and 
fall prey to, to worldliness, that, that uh, old metaphor that preachers love to tell you about, about when a hot coal is picked up out of the fire and, and placed away, it soon grows cold. So be careful about, about falling behind uh, the body of Christ, lest the enemy might pick you off and you fall prey to, to worldliness. So that's the, that's the scene. The Amalekites, their distant relatives, are attacking. Remember, the Hebrew people plundered the Egyptians as they came out of Egypt. So they do have a lot of stuff probably worth, worth stealing. And we think the Amalekites are sort of like a desert-dwelling people who, who made their living by sort of raiding people. And so that's the, that's the situation. So in verse 9, Moses tells Joshua to go gather some fighting men. Now, this is the first time we hear of Joshua. Joshua is just dropped into the text here at this point, and the text assumes that we know him. So the, the, the author just assumes the, he, he, we know who Joshua is. Of course, if you know the story, you'll know that Joshua goes on to succeed Moses, the leader of, of God's people. He would uh, be a great general. He leads them in and as they take the promised land. But the text just drops Joshua into the, t- into the, into the, the narrative at this point. Uh, Joshua is told to go gather some, some fighting men. Now, what you also need to understand is that, of course, the Hebrew people at this point are not soldiers. They've been slaves for 400 years, so it must have been a daunting task for poor old Joshua at this point to wander about the Hebrew camp, asking, hey, buddy, have you got a sword? Can you fight? Um, No? Have have you got a pointy stick, perhaps? Anything will do. You can imagine this one. They would have been pretty desperate because they're not battle-hardened at all. This is the the first time God's people have have really had to fight, so they're they're really up against it at this point. I think we can see here too, sort of how our Christian theology works, and sort of can be mapped on top of this Old Testament story, that God's people have been saved, they've been liberated at this point. We might call that sanctification, these big sort of churchy words that we use sometimes in church. It just really means that we are saved, that God's God saves us. It's all his work. It's all his doing. Remember, the Hebrew people at this point haven't had to do any fighting at this point at all. All they've had to do is simply walk their way to freedom. Been hearing how all they had to do was to exhibit their faithfulness really by putting some blood over the door frames, be protected by the, the blood of the lamb, and, and really just walk to freedom. They didn't have to God didn't tell them to pick up your swords and fight as you exit or to plant or to fight the Egyptians as they went. All they had to do was to get up and, and to go. They didn't do really do much on their part at all. God is fought, fighting for them at this point. He's done everything. They are saved and they, and they are free. But now we get to the point where God actually wants them to, to do something. He wants them to, to, to own their salvation, to own their, their justification. This is the business of sanctification. It's the, the lifelong process of becoming ever more like God. We might sometimes call it discipleship. It's a, it's a long journey. It can be a difficult journey, a winding journey. You see, God calls us to partner with him. God could, of course, just smite his enemies in an instant, but that's generally not how God chooses to work. Generally, God will call us to partner with him, won't he? He'll, he, he says, hey, hey, Pete, I've done everything for you. You are saved by grace through faith. You don't have to do any of it. I've done it all for you. But hey, listen, I'd love it if you were to partner with me and and be my hands and feet 
in, in, in the battle to bring God's kingdom here to earth. So this is the process of, 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 of being sanctified and becoming more and more godly, to be, to be, to be living out our, our, our faith, to, to fight the battles that he calls us to, to, to get to work into becoming more and, and, and more like him. There's a great line from um, J.C. Uh, Ryle, a great preacher, who says, the, the Christian is known for two great marks, his inner warfare and his inner peace. I love that. As followers of Jesus, we're known by two great marks, our inner warfare and our inner peace. We have an inner peace because we are saved by grace through faith. It's all God's doing. We don't have to earn it. Stop trying to earn your salvation. It's given to you as a free gift. This is the amazing grace of which we sing, yes? So that is done for you. God is gracious. But there's also an inner war within us. We, we are raging and we, we want God's kingdom to come in all of its fullness. We're living in these in-between times between Christ's first and second coming where the victory has been won at the cross of Christ, but we're still fighting evil in the world and, 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 and we are still struggling with injustice in various parts of of the world. I think I might have shared with you before that I'm a bit of a country music fan. There's an Aussie uh, country music artist. Some of you smirk when I say that. It's not oh, goodness. Man. It's all right. Nobody's perfect. So bear with me in love and grace. But I do listen to a lot of country music and there's an Aussie country music artist called Casey Chambers. She's got this lovely line and excuse the language, but she's got this great line and she says, if you're not pissed off with the world, then you're just not paying attention. You like that? As followers of Jesus, we are not content with the way things are. There's a battle raging and God calls us to partner with him to bring God's kingdom uh, here to earth. The New Testament tells us quite explicitly, Romans 8.13, we must put to death the things of the flesh. Ephesians 6 tells us to take our stand against the devil. 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us to fight the good fight. Luke 13, Jesus tells us to strive to enter through uh, the, the, narrow, the narrow gate. So yes, the victory has been won, but God calls us to partner with him, to fight with him and, and, and for him. I'm sure every one of you here today can think of some battles that maybe you've been caught up in from time to time. Maybe you feel as though you're having to fight the good fight at, at the moment. Perhaps someone at your work, maybe even your boss is giving a hard, you a hard time about, about your faith in Christ. Maybe family is difficult for you. Maybe some people in your family don't like that you're a, a follower of, of Jesus. The good news here leads us into our, our second point. Yes, there will be battles and yes, there will be fights. But the good news, my second takeaway point is that you don't have to fight alone. You're not in this battle by yourself. The second big point as we see this wonderful image of Moses going up the top of the hill and with his hands raised before God is that God fights on our behalf. We don't fight without any resources. Moses takes his staff, his trusty staff that has parted the Red Sea, that has turned the Nile to, to blood, has brought forth water uh, from the stone and he, and he, and he goes up on top of the hill uh, with Aaron and, and her, and he raises his hands high. And I want you to just think of what this posture means. We don't do this very well in the Protestant church. We tend to all be sort of just very sit. Other traditions, 
I know I've got a mate from the, uh, the Russian Orthodox tradition, and he would tell me of growing up as a kid, and they would stand, have to stand for hours. Their services go for hours. You think some of my messages go a tad too long? They stand for hours. And at other times, they lay prostrate just down on the floor. The, their, the way they express themselves physically expresses their worshipfulness to God. So to this, this, this pose of Moses with his staff in his hand, holding his hands up, it's, 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 a, it's a sign that says, I surrender. Hands up is a sign of surrender. Lord, I surrender. I give up. I give up trying to save myself. Lord, I, I, I throw myself upon your mercy and your grace. I, I'm not, I'm, it, it's a sign of vulnerability. I'm, I'm completely exposing myself to you. It says I'm not hiding anything. It's, I, it's, I show you all that I have. Everything that I have is, is open to you. So it's signs of surrender and of vulnerability. And it's a sign of worship, isn't it? That's why some of us like to lift our hands in worship. It's simply a sign of physically expressing what we feel in our heart. So I want to suggest to you this morning that actually this this picture of Moses with his hands held high is is actually a physical outworking of a posture that should always be in our heart in the follower of Jesus Christ, that of complete surrender, that of complete letting go that of a complete yieldedness of your life, saying, Heavenly Father, I have nothing. I've got nothing. It's all you. Come and save me. I trust you in this dire situation. Whatever it is, I trust you this morning. I, I, I trust you this week. So can I encourage you to, rather than to sort of have this sort of an attitude, sort of cross and be, can I encourage you to open yourself up to God and just say, Lord, here I am. I surrender. Hands up. I give myself over to you. I stop trying to save myself. I am yours, Lord. Come and come and, 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 have, and have your way. And later on when the battle is over, we have this wonderful new name for God that is given. It's, it's the Lord is my banner. It's a variation of Yahweh. If you were with us uh, uh, well, a couple of months ago now, you'll know that uh, Yahweh was, was God's name that he gives for himself. It means I am who I am or I will be who, who I will be who I will be. This is a variation on that name, Yahweh, which is sometimes you'll hear expressed as Jehovah. It is is God's personal name. And this is uh, the Lord, or Yahweh is my banner. This is a military term. This is part of the fighting imagery of this passage. A banner in those days was a military term for your regiment. Of course, I'm sure you've all seen movies of like from Roman times, they lift high an eagle or an, or an insignia through to the Middle Ages that have different banners for their different regiments or their different lords, through to Napoleonic times, of course, and the different in the din of battle, in the chaos of battle. They would lift their colours high, lift their insignia high, so that their men would know this is where you gather, this is us, this is to whom we belong. Can I suggest to you that we too need to learn from this and to raise Jesus Christ, high as our banner. God is the one who fights for us. We fight for God and he fights for us. That's what this is is saying here. Moses um, records this and and says, the Lord is my banner. He is the one to whom I belong. He's the one who identify. I'm not identifying myself by my occupation. I'm not identifying myself by my, my own, even my national identity. I, I'm first and foremost. I like to think, Pete Chapman, I'm not, I'm not a minister. I, I'm not an Aussie. I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That is to be our banner, our identity, that by which we are known. 
So we raise high a banner. So in the dinner battle, we know where to gather. We know how, where to come together. This is my tribe, my kin. These are the ones who will fight for me, who I'm committed to fighting for as well. So that really is, is, is the context uh, there. We also know that we have, we have the, he has the staff. The staff is a sign of God's power. God is fighting on behalf of, 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 his, of, his, of his people. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, had a wonderful line about about this moment, he says, that single rod was of more avail that day than if they had gone into the field preceded by a thousand banners, i.e. a thousand regiments of men. God is, goes ahead of us. God is the one who is fighting on our behalf. So this is God's way of saying, another in the chapters in recent times, are you hungry? Just trust me. Are you thirsty? Trust me. You're facing an enemy? Trust me. We don't fight alone. We fight in God's strength, and we draw on him in order to overcome, which brings us to our, our third takeaway point today. Not only are we fighting, and not only are we fighting in God's strength, to draw on his strength to overcome, thirdly, we need each other in the fight. We need each other to hold one another up. We have this wonderfully human image. I love this image of Moses standing on the hill with arms raised. I mean, you'll know if you do it even in five or ten minutes, some of the Pentecostals among you will know, your hands are raised high. It can, be, it can be a little bit tiring. And so this battle is raging all day. Moses is up there till, till sunset, and of course his arms get... Remember, he's 80 years old at this point. He's 80 years old holding his hands high, and, and Aaron, his brother, and, and her are there to help him. We don't know uh, whether Moses yelled out, hey, come and give me a hand, or, or whether Aaron and her took the initiative and said, hey, look, Moses is, is struggling. Let's, let's go helping. But either way, these two men fulfill a vitally important role in holding up uh, Moses, who is their, their, priestly, their priestly person, interceding for them uh, before, before God. It's an incredibly important thing that we still, of course, needed today to do as Christians. The New Testament is shot through with the command to do this. Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter, go and strengthen the brothers. Acts chapter 18, Paul traveled from place to place, strengthening the disciples. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, for I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, uh, he sends Timothy to strengthen and to encourage the believers. This is what we as Christians are called to do, to as, as the church, to encourage one another, to uphold one another. We, we need people to say, hey, listen, what can I do to uphold you? What can I do to strengthen you this day? Can I encourage you to, to not sit there and say, well, nobody asked me. Take the initiative and go up to someone and say, hey, hey, listen, I know a little bit about what you're going through. What can I do to, to hold you up today? What can I do to encourage you. It might be as simple as a word of prayer. It might be some, some practical help. They might respond with, thank you, but just, just pray for me and that'll be fine. Or, you know what? They might say, you know, you know what? I'm caring for my elderly parents. I need a lift on a Thursday. There might be something that you can, that you can do. You need to do it sensitively, church. Don't go to someone after the service today and say, listen, I was listening to what Pete said today and I can see your life's a mess. So what can, I, what can I do? So you need to do it pastorally. Maybe just suggest, hey, you know, listen, I, I, what can I do to help you? I, I know a little bit of what you're going through. How, how can I help? 
How can I help? Can I also suggest that maybe sometimes you'll need to flip that around and maybe you'll be Moses needing a a helping hand. I've got to say, uh, this is a a blokey thing, and I'll confess to your church, something that that I struggle with is, is we like to think we're, we're all self, I don't need anyone's help and I've got it all covered and I, I'll go, don't be afraid to reach out and say, listen, I really need your hand. I, need, I really need help with this. I'm struggling. I, I'm at the end of my tether. There'll be someone here today that is struggling to hold their hands up, just looking after the kids, just paying the bills. Or there might be people today like our sister who, who's going in for surgery this week and something more acute and, and really intense and you just cry, just please uphold me in, in prayer this, this Tuesday, for example. So can I encourage you this week to be, to be thinking about how you can uh, live out that wonderful image of Moses with his hands lifted high, being supported on either side by, by Aaron and, and by her, or indeed, don't be afraid to call out and say, listen, I send a text or a phone call. Let me know. We've got a wonderfully caring church here with a diverse range of, of gifts and we would love to, to help you out if, if that's you. If you just need your hands lifted up this week. Look, the postscript of this story as we finish up, the postscript is that for the first time in the Bible, God tells Moses to write this down. This is the first time God tells anyone to write anything down to remember it because in a generation, they're going to have to take the Holy Land. Everyone with the exception of Caleb and Joshua himself are going to die out there in the wilderness. The new generation is going to rise up and eventually take, take, the Cain, take Canaan, the, the, the promised land. And, and they're going to need to know about this story because they're going to look at Canaan and be a land faced with giants. And they're going to need to know stories like this when God said, you know what, I, we face the Amalekites in God's strength. God's got this. I'm with you. I'm going to fight for you on, on my behalf. Trust me. Just like I dealt with the, the Egyptians, the world's superpower beforehand, God has got this as we face the Canaanites. Don't be scared. Trust me, says God. Whatever enemy it is you're facing this week, trust God in battle and don't be afraid to cry out. So in summary, we're going to have to fight for our faith from time to time. We're going to need to rely on God uh, to, if we are to prevail. And we're going to need to hold each other up in the midst of the battle. Now you might say, well, Peter, I don't have a magical staff containing the power of God. Can I suggest to you in closing that we've got something better. We have a, we have a saviour. You, you don't need a rod. You need, a, you need God. You need the power of God. And it is available to you through faith in Christ. Jesus himself was, of course, lifted up at the cross, wasn't he? He, he told it about it himself. He said, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Can I suggest that Jesus is our banner? Jesus is our standard. Jesus is the one we we look to. Jesus is the one we look to when worldly slings and arrows come our way because he's been there and done that. He's endured it all to the point of death. But of course, we know that that wasn't the end of the story. When he grew faint, it could no longer even hold his arms up and slouched in death. We know that his heavenly father, our heavenly father, restored him, lifted him up to resurrection life, abundant, eternal resurrection life. It's a victory that you and I can share in by making Jesus our banner, raising him high as our standard. Can I encourage you this week, church, 
to look to God in the midst of battle. Look to your brothers and sisters in Christ and raise high the banner of Jesus Christ as we wait for the ultimate victory at the resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, our Father in heaven. For all of this, we give thanks. We ask, pray, and plead that you would strengthen our hands for the fight. Give us an Aaron and a Her to uphold us. And we pray that you might give us the humility to ask for help. And most of all, Father, turn our eyes towards Christ and the banner of the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.